would you turn with me? Uh, don't forget we have a soup and sandwich luncheon. Amen. <laughs> After church today. And that is a fundraiser for our teenagers to go to Winterfest. So it's by donation. Whatever donation you want to put in, that's fine. And uh, stay and eat with us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're just going to look at, at this passage of scripture this morning from 2 Corinthians and chapter 9. And my sermon title would be, What Do I Have to Give? What Do I Have to Give? We're entering into what we would call, I guess, the holiday season. Hallmark Channel entered into the holiday season about two months ago, I guess, with their, their movies. Uh, I have a, a feeling about those Hallmark movies, but I won't share it here publicly, but it's pretty much the same theme all the way through all of them. So if you've seen one, you've seen them all. They're either at an inn or they're stranded in you know, a lodge, and it's about the same thing. They end up getting married at the end, right? So, Sorry, I stole the plot line for you. Sorry. When you watch one tomorrow night, just think maybe it'll end differently this time, but I'm telling you it's not. They're going to end up getting married at the end and live happily ever after, or at least until the next commercial break. So, but uh, we are entering into the holiday seasons, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it may cause us to ask a question, what do I have to give? You know, with Thanksgiving, we might think, what recipe do I have to use? Or what food will I prepare or what decor or decor will I put on the table asking our questions? What do we have to, to give to our friends and our family? Now, last year, our Thanksgiving meal was not exactly traditional or normal. And my children have just reminded us of that over and over again. They said, we don't want to end up at IHOP again this year for Thanksgiving. But we had this glorious idea that we were going to spend our vacation in Pigeon Forge, and that's what we did. It was our vacation week. And on Thanksgiving, we were going to eat at Paula Dean's restaurant. And if you've ate there, it's wonderful. It's awesome, except for the desserts. Everything else is great. And so we went to get reservations, and they said, well, that's fine. We have a nine-hour wait time. So, okay. We just move on down the street. And, and as we were becoming hangry, have you ever heard that term, hangry? As we were all getting a little hangry, we just finally ended up having our Thanksgiving meal at the IHOP. So there you go. So this year we'll try to do a little better. But it might ask us to say, what do we have to give? Now Christmas is rolling around and we might say to ourselves, what gifts do I have to give. Where am I going to shop? What, what do I want to, to buy? Like me, you may come to the 23rd of December, as I have so many times in my life, and a sense of sheer panic will grip me, and I will realize I have nothing to give, nothing to buy. What do I have to give? But this morning, I have a, a question about what do I have to give, and I want to bring it into our lives this morning. What do I have to give? give to God and to others through my life. And many times we preach on giving and, and we think, well, it's just monetarily. It is monetarily, but there's many, many other facets to giving. And so as I preach this morning and we look at this passage this morning, I want us to not just think about giving in terms of giving money, 
but we can give in many ways. We can give of our gospel witness to other people. We can share the hope that we have in Christ. We can give of our time. There are many people who would just benefit from having some of our company, our time. We can give of our talents and skills And we can also give of our monetary resources. So let's look at this passage this morning. And I want to talk about the honor of giving. The honor of giving. We'll look at those first five verses there in in chapter 9. This is Paul writing to to one of the churches in Corinth. And he said, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. He's saying it's unnecessary, really, for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal stirred up the majority. I want to tell you there's something wonderful about a willingness. Everybody say that word, willing. There is something wonderful when we allow God to create a willing heart, a willing heart in our lives. And then and then they were ready. There's something about being ready. Everybody say that word ready. Ready. And and I would say to us this morning, ask God to to speak to our hearts and, and make us willing to give. Willing and ready to give. And then they talked about that the zeal, their excitement had stirred up the majority. How many knows that we can have influence on those around us in a positive way or in a negative way? What's the term, a Debbie Downer? Is anybody named Debbie? I'm sorry this morning. The Downer? But we can have zeal that, that excites other people. Can I tell you, people need us to be to bring excitement. People need us to bring happiness and godliness into their atmospheres, if you will. And, and as Christ followers, may we have that zeal in our lives. Look at verse 3. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. So Paul is telling them you were excited, you were willing, you were ready, but you haven't quite followed through yet. Maybe the check is laying on the desk. Have you ever done that? You've written a check and you lay it and you haven't, you haven't given it to the person or put it in the offering plate or, or whatever. He said, you just haven't followed through yet. So I sent the brethren to come talk to you so that when the time comes, you're not going to be unprepared. And, and I think that speaks to me this morning and maybe it speaks to you that, that it's sometimes very easy for us even when it might be a more difficult thing, even when it might be a little more challenging or uncomfortable thing that that we get challenged with from a Sunday school lesson or a teaching or a preaching, and it's easy to get excited at the moment and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to follow this principle, I'm going to, whatever it might be, I'm going to have this application in my life. And at the moment, we can become really excited and gung-ho. But then by the time Thursday rolls around, we're not as excited and we're not as ready and it's not as willing. Is that okay this morning? And so sometimes we have to have that follow through, that determination. And that's what Paul is talking about here to to Corinth. Look at verse 4. Least if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Now, let me preach right there that word ashamed. Now, I don't like to be ashamed. Does anybody like to be ashamed? But when we say as a church that we exist to connect and to create, and then that last part, which is our sermon series right now, care. 
And the premise of that caring is giving and serving. It would be a shame if, if someone came to our church and we, we didn't try to help them and meet their needs and love them. Amen? It would be a shame. It would be something for us to be ashamed of if we said, we're just going to bless each other. But God has called us to give and to care and to be ready and willing to bless others around us. Look at verse 5. Therefore I, brought it necess- or therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a... Now watch this. I really like this contrast. A matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. If we have a giving heart a willing heart, a ready heart. When we give, whether it's of our time or of our resources, when we give, it should be a matter of generosity. And I say, Lord, make a a generous heart out of me, not a grudging heart, not saying, oh, I can't believe I have to go and do this, or I can't believe I have to go and help them. But, But what if it came out of generosity and said, God, I thank you that you have given me the energy and the ability to help somebody else. I thank you that you have given me the resource or the skill set to help someone else. And God, cultivate in us a heart of generosity, not of grudging obligation. I think it's, I want to be very careful right here, but just talking about even just passing the offering plate, if we aren't careful, we'll just roll into it's, it's coming and I've got to put something in. But you know, giving is an act of worship to God. And I've been guilty of that. Let me just preach on myself and let me just step on my own toes. Sometimes I just have given and do give sometimes just out of obligation. Just because I know it's 11 o'clock service, the plate's going to come around. I need to have something to put in. But what if I said every week, God, you have blessed me. You have blessed me with a job, with provision. You have blessed my wife with a job and provision. And as an act of worship, I put in my alms to you out of a generous and grateful heart. Isn't that all right this morning? That our giving would be worshipful to honor God, to honor him. Let's keep looking on. Not only should our giving be honorable and bring honor to God and and help to others, but it should bring help. Let's look, let's look at help this morning. And there's a concept in this passage about sowing and, and reaping. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. For those of you who, who garden and you, you plow up the ground and you plant seed, you know, you know what you typically will expect as your harvest from that garden. And if you didn't plant any tomatoes, then you're not going to harvest any tomatoes. That's, that's just rocket science, isn't it? <laughs> if you didn't plant any corn, you're not going to harvest any corn. And so this principle is talking certainly about giving and and, and we're sowing sparingly. We reap sparingly. We sow bountifully. We reap bountifully. God will bring it back to us. But this concept is not just monetary. Think about friendship. Proverbs talks about that he who has friends shows himself to be what? Friendly. And some people we look at in life and we say, wow, I have an aunt 
who's like this. I, I think, wow, she has a lot of friends. But do you know why she has a lot of friends? She sows herself to be friendly. And so this principle of sowing and reaping works in so many areas of our lives. We can look at someone and say, well, they are so successful. They're so good at what they do. But let me tell you that a a musician might come on a stage and play an instrument so beautifully. And we see that and we say, wow, that bountiful harvest. But what we don't see are those hours and hours and hours of time that that musician has sown by practicing Somewhere in a living room someplace or, a, or their bedroom somewhere. They've practiced and they've worked. And so I tell us this morning that sowing and reaping, that concept is, is, is in all kinds of areas in our lives. What we're pouring into, we're going to get back and God's going to even multiply it by putting his hand upon it. So look at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what God loves? He loves it when someone walks into, like some of you that I've seen time and time again, walking into a hospital room to visit someone, giving of your time, giving of your service, giving of your hospitality, your love. God loves to see people walk in like that because They have a cheerful heart. Some of you that make phone calls and check on each other because you love them out of a a heart of love. God loves that thing, a cheerful heart. Those that come in and the offering plate comes around and we say, God, I thank you that I have to give today. You have blessed me. And that cheerfulness, God loves a cheerful heart. And I say, God, in our giving, whether it be our time, talent, or treasures, make us have a cheerful heart. What about you this morning? Is that all right? A cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Keep going. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I love that phrase there in verse 10 that he provides seed to the sower. Let me say that a different way. I can never outgive God. And you can never outgive God. Because the more I give, the more he gives to me. The more I invest in his kingdom, the more seed he gives to me that I can invest and do more for him. He gives seed to the sower. And for those of you that you say, well, we'll, you know, we're working for God. I want to do things for God. I want to tell you, he'll provide. Go ahead and do it. He gives seed to the sower. Use what we've had. Remember a few weeks ago we preached about those talents. And, the, and God was not pleased with the one who hid the talents. He was pleased with the ones who used what God had given them. And I want to tell you, if God has equipped you to, to be a nurse, then be the best nurse that there is for the glory of God. 
Use those talents. Invest that. If God has equipped you to be a a police officer, if God has equipped you to work on cars and build buildings, if God has equipped you to, to work in schools and be teachers and principals, what should we do? The very best that we can do to glorify God. And as we pour into those things, God will give us the resources, the strength and the help and the ability to please him and to bless others. I'm talking about helping and honoring this morning, giving. Let's keep reading verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Here's a neat concept. Not only when we give do we help further God's kingdom. Not only when we give do we help other people. But something neat happens when we give. And as you read through this passage, there's a couple of things that that our giving causes. One of those things is it causes prayers. Sometimes we might give to a mission field somewhere in another part of the world. And they receive that gift and they begin to pray for us. God bless them for blessing us. Isn't that cool? If you ever received a gift, an unexpected gift or, or some helpful gift, and usually probably what you have done is you've turned around and you've prayed, Lord, bless them for blessing me. So our giving causes more praying, but our giving also causes more thanksgiving. Have you ever received a gift and you said, thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord. I was working at the grocery store back in the day. I loved working at the grocery store. If I weren't pastoring and I could work in a grocery store again, I would work in a grocery store again. I loved it. Loved it. We were first married. We didn't have two dimes to rub together, two nickels to rub together. And we were down to the, towards the end of the month, and, and uh, a little lady, as I was wheeling out the groceries, uh, uh, part of one of our churches that we were affiliated with, and she said, the Lord told me to do this. And she put it in my hand, $20 bill. What do you think I did? I gave thanks to God. And that $20 bill back in 1999 or 2000 was enough to get me to the next payday. Can I tell you that God always provides and when he does, we thank him. So if we're on the other end of it and we're the givers, he has blessed us to be the givers, guess what? We're not only helping their need, we're helping them praise God. We're helping them give thanksgiving to God. It's always so much bigger. Everything that God does is always so much bigger, really, than what we see and what we know. So not only should we honor God, not only should we help others, but our giving should precipitate hope. Hope. Look with me at verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, so what you're given is not only meeting their need, But it's also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. And that's what we just talked about. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. And for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Our giving brings prayer. It gives thanksgiving, but it also brings hope. Sometimes it's just a small gesture. 
whether it's monetarily, whether it's just a gesture of time or love or concern or an act of service or using our skill sets to repair something for someone or, or, or mow someone's lawn or visit someone, any of this type of giving. I'm not just talking monetarily this morning. Giving, giving, all types of areas. It brings hope to other people. Sometimes they may sit and think, well, I just didn't think anybody remembered me anymore. And then you called and you said, hey, how you doing? I've been missing you. Isn't that neat? Maybe they say, I just didn't know what was going to happen with my yard. My, my weeds were just growing up all around. And then you showed up with your John Deere tractor and you, you mowed my lawn. It, gave, it gives hope. It gives hope. Our giving can give hope to other people. And it's a, a blessed thing. Yesterday, I was fortunate enough to be in a little conference down at Covenant Church with, and many of you will know him, Bruce Deal, who was a teenager, I understand, here while his dad pastored this church. And so he was sharing his story, and um, we may be able to get him and come and speak for us some Sunday. He, at the end of the conference, he was talking about how he loved you all, he loved this place, and he said, I'd like to come preach there sometime. And I said, well, maybe we'll get you to come preach sometime. So uh, hopefully we can get him to come and, and be with us. But he told his story about he and his wife and his little girls at the time took a step of faith. And God called them to go from Virginia, comfortable Virginia, all their family is here, they love Virginia, to go to, of all places, inner city Atlanta to a place where there was a church that really they thought the church was closing. And I think Bruce really thought that he was probably going to go there and try to love on the people and, and preach for a little while and then just help the church kind of end. This church was in and still is in the highest crime rate in inner city Atlanta. And here is this boy from Pulaski, Virginia and Nortonsville, Virginia. And now he is pastoring this supposed to be dying church in this inner city place of the highest crime rate in Atlanta. But he said very early on, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you this morning, the gospel is powerful. And some of our giving needs to be giving the gospel to other people, sharing our testimony, sharing the word of God to others through preaching and teaching and sharing and witnessing. It brings hope. He preached the gospel, and this one drug-addicted prostitute lady, there's no way to clean it up this morning. It was a, she came to give her heart to the Lord, and she looked at Brother Deal, and she said, Will you... Help me. Will this church help me? Basically, she was saying, will you give me hope? Will you give me this gospel that you're preaching about? And I, I just strongly on my heart this morning as we move forward as a church and we move into 2020, may we not just preach the gospel, may we give the gospel. May we not just declare what we should be doing, but God help us to do it with outstretched hands and caring hearts. She came forward. She gave her heart and life to Christ. She said, will you help me? He said, yes, we will help you. He and his wife began to help her. The next Sunday, this prostitute drug addict brought more prostitutes and drug addicts. 
Can I tell you, Jesus Christ can still save. He can still set the vilest sinner free. There's no one in our lives, no one in our communities who are too far from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I am too far, I've done too much, I have sinned too badly. No, no, and no, the grace of God is sufficient. Thank God. Will he take me back? You say, oh, yes. He'll take you back. She brought more of her friends, more prostitutes, more drug addicts. The next week, they brought more of their friends and more prostitutes and drug addicts. And before long, he was looking at about 100 drug addicts and prostitutes and and gang people from the streets in his filled-up church. It was supposed to be closing, but the power of gospel propelled it into ministry. And lives begin to change. Now I'm talking about, let me just preach here. I'm talking about a a young man that was in this church. Bruce Dill, teenager. Some of you might have poured into him. Some of you might have taught him in Sunday school. Some of you might have pulled him by the ear sometime when he got mischievous. Can our church make a difference? It already has. I believe this church shares in some of the fruit of what he's doing down in Atlanta because some of you poured into him and prayed for him and loved him. This gospel is so big. It just expands, expands, expands. Now I'm getting all excited up here. But the gospel is big. It grows. It snowballs. They came. They filled this church. And one day he said, that he being Bruce Dill, he said... My wife called me after my prayer time, or after her prayer time, excuse me. She called him, and she was weeping. She was weeping, and he said, what, what is it? And she said, I believe that instead of us living in the suburbs of Atlanta and driving into our church and ministering to these people, I believe we need to sell what we have, and we need to move right there where they are. Now, I'm not talking about Spring Hill Road, Ruckersville. I'm talking about inner city, Atlanta, highest crime rate in the city of Atlanta. Bruce Deal said he's had fist fights. He's had everything you can imagine happen to him. But they moved into a rat-infested Old church building. Him, his wife, his little daughters. And he said it was nothing for them, for him to go at 4 a.m. in the morning and to bring in a young maybe prostitute or young lady that was getting released from jail or, or a judge was releasing for whatever reason and bring her to their, to their church. And they would get up the next morning and go to the breakfast table. Him, his wife, young daughters, and there would sit one or two prostitutes. What am I preaching about? I'm preaching about giving. I'm preaching about giving hope. And and God hasn't called me to Atlanta. He's not called you to Atlanta. But I tell you, he has called us someplace. And every one of us has something to give. And we can bring hope to somebody else. What a beautiful thought. What if we took that one little line for this week and we said, all right, God, who is it this week that I can bring some hope to? Who is it that I can give some hope to? 
A long story short, short, all these years later, a church that he was going to was supposed to be closing down. An inner city that he didn't fit in with stuck out like a sore thumb. Now he runs the streets every dawn and the, the drug dealers have his back. He said the other day, a few of them started to approach him and he said some of the drug dealers stood up and stood between him and them and said, you're not getting this one. What has he done? He has spread such love and such hope that even some of them that haven't yet, yet, given their heart to Christ, they respect him and they know how God is using him in their community. I want to tell you that we can do likewise. I'm not saying that we are the city of refuge Atlanta, but we're the Nortonsville Church of God and we know the gospel and we have something to give. As individuals, we have something to give. As families, we have something to offer. As a church, we have hope that we can spread and care and give. Let it be our heart. Let it be our life. So now many years later, that little church that was dying, that little church that he was going to go to close, has now turned into a $30 million a year ministry. He has executives who sits on the board for City of Refuge from places like Chick-fil-A, etc. That sit on his board and help him make decisions on how they're going to bless people. They're in a $7 million apartment building project right now. Why? Because he listened to the voice of God. And he said, all I did was step by step. He said, someone came to him one day and said, what's the secret sauce to all of this. He said, I have no secret sauce. I have no formula. He said, I just did what God told me to do step by step. And what if we lived like that? What if tomorrow, if the Lord just prompted us to, to give in a certain way, whether it be time, talent, or treasure, we just obeyed that prompting. And then the next day, we just obeyed that prompting, and we were the hands and the feet of Christ, and we spread this gift of hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One final scripture this morning. If the praise team can come and get ready to, to sing. Look at that last verse. I love it. I love it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. We're talking about giving. Giving help and giving hope. Giving time, talent, treasure, resources. Giving of our love. Being a cheerful giver. But Thanksgiving is coming, and one of the greatest things we can also give is give thanks to God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable, one translation said unspeakable. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is that gift? Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God. For his son. I thank God for Jesus Christ. How about you? I thank God that although I was, as the Bible described me and describes you, I was dead in my trespasses and my sins. But because of Jesus Christ, I am alive. Because of Jesus Christ, I am a new man, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I ask you this morning, do you know 
the Son of God. Do you know Jesus? Is he your personal Lord and Savior? If you do this morning, before we leave, I, would, I want us to just give thanks to him. If you don't, I want to invite you to accept him into your heart and into your life. Here's the good news. He'll meet you right where you are. Oh yes, the altar is open. If you want to come and, and kneel down and pray to God and ask him to come into your heart, this altar is open for you. You are welcome. In fact, this altar is always open if you want to come and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So the altar is open. But I want to tell you, you can bow your head and close your eye right where you are and you can ask Jesus Christ to come in. You can ask him right where you are. You can say, Lord, forgive me. Save my soul. Change my life. It is the gift of the Son of God. It is the gift that changed the course of all humanity. Jesus. He is the gift that has changed the course of many families and generations. Jesus Christ. But let me make it personal this morning. He is the gift that has changed my very life. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this morning. They're going to get ready and... and um, different ones are going to have some cards to give to you in just a moment. I'll explain those to you before we leave this morning. But before we leave this moment, can we just reverence the Lord for a few moments? Would you just bow your head all over this house? and You guys sing whatever you have on your heart and I just want you to thank the Lord for the gift of His Son.